we read at the end of Matthew 4, these words, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and he began to teach them. Welcome to a new series, Things That Matter, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7, uh, the beginning of which I have, is arguably the toughest one I've ever had. Shall we call this entire passage controversial? Yes. Shall we call it confusing? Most likely. Shall we call it thought-provoking? Undoubtedly. If you take the time to read Matthew 5 through 7, you will see demoralizing ideals, sobering predictions, and sharply worded warnings. The sermon includes harsh, if not grotesque, religious teaching. And how about the soul-searing questions and the pointed accusations and the stern judgments? And to top it all off, in this sermon you're going to see not so subtle references to pacifism, amnesty, civil disobedience, capital punishment, and all forms of social justice. So you can understand, perhaps, why C.S. Lewis uh, summed it at best when he wrote, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer. Now, this is a profound thinker writing this. Knowing this, I try to imagine what it would be like to shake hands with Jesus at the door after he's preached the sermon. What in the world would I say? Great sermon, Lord. That part where you told me to love my enemy and forgive everyone and turn the other cheek, just great stuff. And going the second mile, my wife thought that was terrific. She actually wondered if you might work that into a series sometime. Uh, however, she was not really excited when you said, don't worry about what you wear. Gouging out your right eye, cutting off your right hand, that really got to me. <laughs> and you certainly covered it all when you said to me, be perfect. And your title, oh, how to really irritate a Republican. Edgy, did you clear that with the elders? With that said, we better say a prayer over at least the beginning of this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Will you join me, please? Lord, these words have been said and recorded and taught for hundreds of years. They are before us to help us get some work done, so keep me from being sloppy. 
and take what seems to be so obscure and guide me to clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Richard Dawson was host of a popular TV game show called Family Feud. And the game is built on surveys that are given to a hundred people. And then during the show, Dawson would ask a contestant like, name a favorite Sunday afternoon activity. If the answer was watch football, uh, then he would bark, and our survey said, and if the survey said that 65 people watch football on Sunday afternoon out of 100, the contestant gets 65 points. Now, what would it be like if the game got serious? Name something that matters. And our survey said money, success, influence, position. Jesus, apparently now choosing to introduce the sermon, thinks that the quest to be blessed really matters. So that's how he starts this message. So follow me now uh, with the events that lead up to uh, the sermon as I, we start in four. Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news spread about Him all over Syria, and people brought to Him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, with demon possession, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And this is Matthew's report now when the sermon is over. You'll see that in about five or six weeks. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the, cloud, the crowds were amazed at his saying. They were amazed, which means this Sermon on the Mount really matters. So let's continue with the text. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And the disciples, notice very carefully now that the disciples come to him. These are insiders now. It's very important when we interpret a passage of Scripture to look carefully at who these words were said Jesus recruited disciples, and he had a group of insiders around him. So now if you can picture this group sitting around him, and then we see the word, and he began to teach them. The word began is very important here because now uh, this is a beginning, and we need to be very, very, very thankful that the Bible does not end at the end of Matthew 7. If it did we'd be in misery. So in verse 1 of chapter 5, we read these words, and he began to teach them, saying, and then all of a sudden we see verses 3 through 11, and now notice the word blessed eight times. And when I studied this, I concluded very quickly that this sermon, at least my part of it, better be about blessing. Blessing, blessings, being blessed. I'm not sure these words bristle with clarity. 
being blessed seems to drip with sentiment. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door. I don't know whether that stirs me at all. Uh, I've tried reading this blessing to the guys I play golf with on the first tee. May flowers always line your path and sunshine light your day. May songbirds serenade you as you step along the way. May a rainbow run beside you in a sky that's always blue. And may happiness fill your heart each day your whole life through. Wow. Uh, send me home in great shape. Okay. Then there's a blessing for those who are unmotivated bike riders. May the road rise to meet you and may the wind be at your back and may the sunshine warm on your face. There's a blessing for everything. We wish for God to bless our families and our houses and our sons and our daughters, our grandchildren, our food, our pets, our cars, and there are those who even asked God to bless the Broncos several weeks ago. We love our benedictions. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And when I was a child, we never missed singing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And those spectacular renditions of God Bless America by Celine Dion and Kate Smith and Martina McBride, they, they stir the soul. And we hear God bless you at weddings and funerals and ball games and certainly every time we sneeze. Blessing is often confused with fantasy. A number of years ago, I had to teach my boys what blessing was like when they looked at a commercial that was aired by a brewing company. A group of bored, beer-thirsty men are trapped on a desert island, and they are saved by the Swedish bikini team. And the hook for this commercial is, this does not get any better than this. And then blessing is often thought of as magic. Have you ever listened carefully to uh, a famous song that goes like this? Uh, Bless this house, O Lord, we pray. Make it safe by day and night and day. Bless these walls so firm and stout, keeping want and trouble out. Bless the roof and chimneys tall. Let thy peace lie over all. Bless this door that it may prove ever open to joy and love. Bless the windows. The, tar- the composer does get towards a little bit better to the point when he starts saying, uh, uh, bless us all that we may be, when he finally realizes that God blesses people, not things. So it might be good for us just for a second to, to think about what a blessing is. And, and, and whenever I look to try and figure out what a blessing is, uh, I like to go to the first time that the word and concept appears in Scripture. So we go back to creation and we read these words in Genesis 1:27, where now the whole idea of blessing seems to emerge in front of us. In Genesis 1, we read, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. This will be yours. This is kind of like being served in a great restaurant. It's kind of like a waiter who just set the table and lowered the lights and seated you in a quiet corner and then started the music and folded a napkin and then filled your water glasses and then brought you the perfect steak just dripping with mushrooms. And then he smiled at you and said, enjoy. If you like this picture, then you like blessing. But I want us to do more than like blessing this morning. Uh, I am suggesting by the, the force of this particular passage of Scripture that the quest to be blessed really matters. And I hope you'll get a sense of why being blessed really matters this morning. So I'm going to propose some reasons, some reasons why our quest to be blessed really matters. Reasons why our quest to be blessed really matters. And I hope that this motivates us to seriously look into our own quest to be blessed. First, blessing matters because what's working for us matters. I like to play the game sorry with my grandson. He's a brilliant six-year-old. Great. You know, take out the board, roll the dice, move the, 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 the pieces around. I have to confess that one day I stacked the cards. Yeah, that's because he loves to win. And I stacked the cards so well that I got a piece out. And then I stacked the cards so that every time I pulled up another card, it went to the slide. Six times a row, whoosh, pulled a card, it went to the slide, and his eyes were huge as he watched me go around the board. <clears throat> well, I'm going to suggest to you that when we start thinking about blessing as something that works for us, think of the slide on the, book of, uh, on the game of sorry, because now as we look at these verses, we're going to see some teaching that suggests that life has some slides in it, and we can look for them and we can develop them as we face our unique situations and circumstances. And high schoolers, particularly as you plan your life and look to face conflict, for goodness sakes, look at what is in the text here. For now we see uh, expressions of the heart. For now, if God blesses people, he's going to bless the heart. And we're going to see in this passage a number of expressions of the heart. For now we see, blessed are the poor in spirit. Bless those who mourn. Bless the meek. Bless those who hunger for righteousness. Bless the merciful. The, the pure in heart are blessed. The peacemakers are blessed. Those who are persecuted are best. And then note what is in blue here, because you see now the word for, and that appears eight times. 
It's a conjunction, and it joins one thing to another. So now it appears like Jesus is taking this quality of character and matching it up with something. And then note what is in green here. Uh, the repetitions of the word again, for theirs is. They will be, they will be, they will be, they will be. What you're seeing here is an incredible linkage of these expressions of the heart that are attached to something good. Blessed people are headed for something good. Call it a slide if we want. And, and to get deeper into this now, you're going to find that the, sub, the Sermon on the Mount is built like a subway sandwich. Pastor Todd used to call it a chiasm. You have the top piece of bread and the bottom piece of bread. Uh, I'll leave the roast beef and tomatoes and onions and peppers and ranch dressing to the rest of the preaching team. But I'm going to touch the top piece of bread and the bottom piece of bread for a second. A brief look at the top of the, the piece of bread for what we see are now how blessed people express themselves. Let's call them, if you please, the eight habits or eight expressions of a blessed heart. This past week, because I do a lot of conflict resolution in business, I dealt with three business owners who were literally at their throats. I mean, I was on the phone day after day after day listening to people scream and yell about each other, and I wish I could get them to memorize these expressions of the heart because these solve problems today. Look at what we can pull out of these expressions of the heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In today's language, that means control that ego, will you? Blessed are they who mourn. In today's language, that means feelings count. If everyone learned to cry when they were supposed to, I think most counselors and psychologists would go out of business. Blessed are the meek. In today's language, that means manage your power. If I could simply get these people to talk to each other slow. And soft. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Choose your priorities. Blessed are the merciful. There's something better than rights and being fair. Blessed are the pure in heart. Integrity is everything. Blessed are the peacemakers. Cherish relationships. Blessed are those who are persecuted. This isn't personal, guys. This isn't about me. And then if you go to the bottom part of the sandwich in Matthew chapter 7, we see these words, go the second mile, keep your word, mind your own business, don't squander what's valuable, listen to advice. And the salesperson's mantra, ask and seek and knock. Fabulous advice. Color me blessed when my heart is expressing itself like this. So now we ask, what happens when we connect a blessed heart with the things that matter, when we get a slide, because now Jesus is teaching us here that blessed people have a blessed house. Blessed people have a blessed marriage. Blessed parents have blessed children. Blessed finances are blessed 
by managed people who manage by blessing. Blessed people have a blessed church. The star performers in my life have come to me in moments in which they were blessed. I received a phone call from someone in the church this week. It just happened while I was brutally discouraged with the sermon. He called me up and asked me how it was going and said, I'd like to pray with you. And suddenly I was blessed. The power came right over the phone. Sometimes I have the opportunity to talk with someone who's brokenhearted or has lost something. And in a moment of blessing, the power that is in my heart will go to them and they are blessed. Stephen Covey, Zig Ziglar, Gary Hopkins, Peter Drucker, Joyce Brothers, Emily Post, Dr. Phil, Judge Judy, the leadership seminars, the motivational CDs, they will all agree that blessed hearts avoid problems, blessed hearts solve problems, blessed hearts bless others, blessed hearts bless people, places, and things. It makes good sense then to have God bless our hearts, doesn't it? Particularly when we have things working or want things working to, for us. Let's continue to a second reason. Being blessed matters because what's working against us matters. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If you read the entire Sermon on the Mount, you'll find it littered with references to what can work against us. You will be insulted, you will be opposed, you will be lied to, you will be framed, you'll be put in danger, you'll be punished, you'll be seduced, you will be robbed, you'll be extorted, you'll be manipulated, you'll be scared and blackmailed. Sometimes I get too serious. I was watching a group of five-year-olds having a birthday party not too long ago. And as I watched these young kids having a birthday, happiness was not a problem. It was something that they could look forward to and have fun with. But as I have grown older, I've come to understand why we plead with birthdays to be happy by singing a song. Four times we repeat the litany, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. You know why that may be? It's because every step closer that, that we take in birthdays, we begin to discover that there are some things that work against us. With age, the things that work against us become clearer and clearer, maybe not at age 5 or age 20 or 25, but age begins to teach us more and more and more why the quest to be blessed really matters. I teach the best years class, and better yet, they teach me what birthdays mean because every birthday can mean loss of family, loss of friends, loss of strength, loss of skills, loss of financial power, loss of mobility, loss of energy, influence, significance, health, mental sharpness, space, and ultimately loss of physical life. 
Age is the great revealer of things we can't avoid and things we can't explain and things we can't control. Wow. When things work against us and that really matters, that's what blessing counts. Jan and I had the opportunity to take a boat trip from Martha's Vineyard over to Nantucket Island. And on that boat trip, I stood on the bow of the boat and I looked at the harbor on Nantucket Island and I saw this series of buoys that marked the jetties that were coming out of the harbor. And I watched the wind come along and pound those buoys. And I watched the waves completely swallow up the buoys. And all of a sudden, I noticed that whenever the buoys went over and sunk in the water because there was something down at the bottom, they'd spring right back up. And I think Jesus is teaching us right here with with great power that when our hearts are blessed, we're like those buoys, that when we face things we can't avoid and things that we can't control and things that we can't explain and they bowl us over, that a blessed heart enables us to pop back up. And there's the third reason. Being blessed matters because what's working in us matters. I'm going to fudge a little bit and look at the center of the sandwich because the center of the sandwich is the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 9, it says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what the word for prayer is? It's to express a wish before God. And Jesus is coming along and saying to us, look, when you pray to God, wish that God's kingdom would come and rule inside you. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Matthew 7 is not the end of the Bible here. We find that Jesus teaches and that he lives and that he dies and that he sends his apostles out to plant the church. And in planting the church, he invites people to look at Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This whole thing adds up to the activity of God blessing our hearts. I like to watch MASH reruns. And there's one rerun that some Christians think is rather blasphemous. But personally, I think it's rather instructive. Kaplan Chandler is brought into camp, and he believes he is Jesus Christ. And he calls himself the Lord throughout the entire episode. And then Major Burns insists that he's faking battle fatigue, and Father Mulcahy finds him captivating. And Dr. Friedman concludes that Captain Chandler has mentally checked out of bombing and killing people. But the redeeming dialogue in this whole whole uh, show is when Radar uh, comes to Kaplan Chandler as Jesus Christ. And Radar walks up to him and asks him, would you bless my bear? And Radar hands Jesus his teddy bear and with gentleness he takes it in his hands and blesses the bear. But then he looks up and says, 
and bless you, Radar. I think the writer knew that what's working inside us is what really matters. My grandfather was a remarkable person. I know him mainly through what my father said and what my brother writes about him. He would spend time with his Bible. He would spend time ministering to others. But I invite you now to listen to this account of a visit my brother had with my grandfather when he was 93 years old. It will certainly give us an idea of what someone looks like when God is working for someone and God is working in someone. He writes, When my grandfather was a very old man, he spent his final year in a home for retired people in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. I went to see him on a couple of occasions. Visits were difficult because his mind was virtually gone. And he operated mostly on instinct alone. But the gentle, noble, godly spirit was there. And it was there the day I went to see him for the last time. Grandfather, I'm Gordon. I said this when I sat down beside his chair, feeling foolish that I, his grandson, was having to introduce myself. But he had no memory for names or people any longer. Who are, you? Who are you? He asked in spite of my introduction. I'm Gordon, Donald's son. But it made no difference. He didn't remember. So I simply told him what I had come to say. Your prayers for me are answered. I told him he had two great-grandchildren and that they were full of life and promise and that I had a wonderful wife and that I was a very happy man. And he said, oh, that's good. He responded, still not sure of who I was. I think he was being kind since that was the only thing he knew to do all of his life. When it came to leave him, I said, grandfather, I'd like to pray for you. And he was delighted. And I began the best prayer I could ever pray. I prayed for his health. I prayed for God to be present to him. I, I prayed for him to remember that he was loved by his family. And then I finished and I looked up to say goodbye. But it was clear that grandfather had no intention of saying farewell yet. He was going to pray also. And pray he did. Suddenly a foggy mind cleared and words of praise and intercession poured from his lips, an articulate prayer if I've ever heard one. I was awestruck. The old man now incontinent, oblivious of the world beyond the door, unable even to remember his grandson's name, but he knew God and he knew how to talk with him. And I listened on and the minutes passed by as he spoke of great biblical promises and he challenged God to show his mercy on a broken world. And then he said, and now, oh God, I pray for... And then he looked at me and said, what's your name? Gordon, I said. 
Yes, thank you, the prayer continued. I pray for Gordon that you would bring upon him heavy anointing. And oh God, would you give... What's your name again? Gordon, I said. Give Gordon a double measure of blessing as he... And the prayer for me went on for four or five further reminders of my name. My grandfather knew nothing else and needed to do no nothing else except how to live out of a soul that was gripped by God. No senility, no dimension of life could hurt him. Only beauty, order, truth, power, and the glory of God. Every one of us needs a time when something is working for us, and we need to be blessed when things are working against us. But certainly, We need to be blessed when something inside us matters. And as we grow older together and realize that we face the things that we can't avoid and the things that we can't explain and the things that we can't control, it's probably why Jesus featured this marvelous text on blessing. Let's pray together. God... You are the one from whom all blessings flow. And you blessed infinity with an idea. And you blessed the earth with creation. And you blessed man with paradise. And you blessed a nation with a future. And you blessed eternity with heaven. But the neatest thing, Lord, is you blessed the heart. And for those of us who need something working for us today, may we know what to look for, your blessing. And for those of us who have something working against us, may we know what to draw from. And for those of us who need something working in us, may we never shrink from asking you to rule in our heart and to change our heart and nurture it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless your heart. You are dismissed.